Well, all semester long, we're going to take a look uh, at the Lord's Prayer, sort of break it down sort of week by week, line by line. The reason why is because prayer seemingly is the easiest thing in the world. Uh, If you know how to have a conversation, right, you know how to pray, ostensibly, right? Because it's nothing but a conversation with God. But prayer is... If that's all that it is, why does it seem so difficult? Like, because prayer presents itself as one of the most difficult things uh, in the world as well. And anyone who's ever tried to pray for any sort of, I don't know, prolonged period of time probably knows uh, what I'm talking about. You close your eyes and you try to concentrate on prayer, but after 15 seconds or so, you're assaulted by what C.S. Lewis called the kingdom of noise. Right, seemingly out of nowhere, the today's, uh, the day's to-do list sort of pops into your mind, and whatever thoughts you had of praying uh, become quickly just a confused mix of wandering and worry. As we pray, our minds sort of wander and worry, uh, not just about the day before us, but even about praying itself. We worry, am I doing this right? Uh, am I getting the words out right? And guilt and shame can kind of set in. On the heels of guilt and shame come waves of doubt. Does prayer make a difference? Does this work? Maybe you have a family member who gets diagnosed with cancer, and you pray and you pray and you pray for the cancer to go away, but he or she still suffers, and you do too. So you ask, does this work? Is this making a difference? And doubt leads to more doubt. Is anybody listening? Does anybody care? A Christian writer, Paul Miller, points out that when we have a phone conversation, we hear a voice and we can respond. But when we pray, it sounds like and looks like we're only talking to air and only crazy people talk to themselves. So you wonder, am I crazy? Is this crazy? Has this been anybody's experience? It's just mine. No. If this is your experience, I want you to know you're not alone. Most Christians recognize prayer as this amazing thing and yet this seemingly impossible thing to do. And as we see in today's passage, even Jesus' disciples felt that way. Look at our passage right there in verse 1. Okay, Jesus is praying in a certain place, and when he's finished, one, is, one of his disciples says to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And it's not so much a question here as a command. It's in the imperative. It's not, would you teach us to pray, so much as you must. You have got to do this for us. In my mid-twenties, I was invited to a dinner party uh, in Arlington, Virginia. The host of this dinner party was a man named John. John was a lawyer, the son of a politician. He was affluent. He was well-educated. He was, you could say, a wasp's wasp, if you know what that means, right? What caught my attention about John that night as I had dinner with him was not the niceness of his home, and it wasn't even his political pedigree. What caught my attention about John was the way that he referred to Jesus in the course of conversation that night. As I sat and as I listened to him, it was clear to me, this is not just a man who talks about Jesus. This is a man who talks to Jesus. 
He doesn't talk about him. He talks to him. And that's a, there's a big difference in that. See, Jesus was as real and as near to him as the food was on our dinner plates. And as our dinner was wrapping up, I leaned over and I said something to John to the effect of, you have something that I don't have. Where did you get that? You've got something that I don't. Where did you get that? And that sounds to me a whole lot like the disciples here at the beginning uh, of Luke 11. Jesus, you've got something that we don't. Where did you get that? Teach us to pray. Unfortunately for them and for us, Jesus obliges. Okay, what Jesus gives them and what he gives us is a pattern for prayer that we know as the Lord's Prayer. By giving us this pattern for prayer, Jesus seems to know what we need even before we ask him. It's short and it's simple, yet it contains all that we need in conversation with God. For those who are prone to get distracted in prayer, like me, the Lord's Prayer functions a lot like a handrail, sort of guiding us along, keeping us on track. As one old theologian, pastor, guy named John Calvin put it, the Lord's Prayer helps us when our ideas run out. It's a prayer in three parts, up, then out, and then in. Sort of using the more famous quotation of this prayer from Matthew 6, the prayer begins by us looking up, right? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. But after looking up, we look out. And we look out on the world and we say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then we look in and we say, give us this day our daily bread. Right? Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, uh, but deliver us from evil. Up, and then out, and then in. There seems to be an important order of operations here. Do you all remember learning order of operations in middle school math, or if you were smarter than me, very likely... <laughs> Elementary school math, right? It's this acronym PEMDAS, P-E-M-D-A-S, PEMDAS. When solving a math problem, uh, you start with what's in parentheses. Then you go to exponents, then multiplication and division, and finally addition and subtraction. P-E-M-D-A-S, PEMDAS, right? You remember this. You get the order right, and there's a very good chance that you're going to end up with the right result. But if you get the order wrong, right, not only is it possible that you're going to mess up the equation, there's a very good chance that you're going to feel confused and frustrated and discouraged and defeated uh, along the way. Like I know this not just from my own travails in mathematics, but also in prayer, which I'm learning at, uh, which I'm still learning and want to grow in with you this semester and year. You see, when I launch into prayer and I forget to start with up, When I sort of launch into prayer and forget that I'm a child of God and I'm talking to my Father in heaven, praying feels a lot like writing something on a piece of paper, stuffing it into a wine bottle, and then chucking it into the sea. That's what praying feels like for me when I forget to start with up. You're kind of hoping that somebody's going to read it, but you have your doubts, right? That sea is a giant abyss. 
It's not a very encouraging way to pray. But when I start with up, when I start with connection, and I don't just hope for it as an afterthought, right? everything begins to change. Right? When connection comes before content, as my wife would point out at a ropes course, right? connection before content. See, our default is to pray in reverse order. Instead of starting with God, we typically start with ourselves. Right? Instead of starting with our Father's smiling face, we typically start with the mess that we're in. In the words of a theologian named N.T. Wright, he says, we're usually in some sort of mess and we want God to get us out of it. Then we've got some fairly pressing needs and we want God to supply them. It may strike us at that point there's a larger world out there. And he concludes, with Jesus' prayer, the contents may remain, but the order will change. And with that change, we move at last from paranoia to prayer and from fuss to faith. See, in prayer, the order of operations matters. It matters to start with up. Because it not only affects what you pray for, it does affect how you pray for it. Again, in the words of right, with the change, we move at last from paranoia to prayer, right, and from fuss to faith. It's important that when we pray, our first movement is to look up and not out, not in. See, when we look up, we're not staring into uh, space. We're not talking to an empty room. We are addressing someone, and indeed someone special. We're addressing our Father in heaven. I want you to think about that for a moment. To think about the fact that when we look up, the first words out of our mouth is our Father. See, Jesus could have taught us to address God any number of ways. He could have said, hey, when you pray, look up and say, Lord. When you look up, say, boss. When you look up, say, dear Jesus' dad. He could have said a lot of things. He could have said, when you look up, say, commander of the angel armies. Fill in the blank. I mean, there's a number of things that he could have said. But we don't start with any of those. We don't start with any of these. Right? Christian prayer begins by looking up and addressing Lord Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, as Father, as Dad, as our Father. Here's why this matters. Here's why it matters how you start this prayer. Who you think God is and what you think God is like, it shapes, it affects how you relate to Him. Your view of God shapes how you talk to Him, it shapes how you interact with him. It shapes how you pray to him. For example, if you think that God is harsh and cruel, you're probably not going to want to talk to him about your sin. You're probably going to gloss right over that part. Just to say, a pretty big part of your life, big part of mine. If you think that God is really busy and doesn't really have time for you, 
you're probably not going to ask him for a whole lot of help. If you think that, yes, he's a dad, but he's a deadbeat dad, a God who just watches my life unfold from the distance, who never answers the phone, maybe sends the obligatory gift at Christmas time, if that's your view of who God is, you're probably going to think, why bother calling at all? Who needs him? I'm just going to sort of tighten up my bootstraps and forge my way through life alone. All that is to say your view of God matters. matters a lot. Your view of God determines if you're going to pray and if you pray how you do. And that is why you don't just need something to keep you on track. You need a pattern for prayer that starts you off on the right foot with our Father. And not dear sir, dear Yahweh, dear Jesus' dad. Right? God wants you to relate to him in the same way that Jesus relates to him. As a father-son, as a father-daughter sort of relationship. Because here's why God looks on you. The one who made this universe, he also made you. And he looks on you with great tenderness and affection. He loves you and he wants to give good things to you. He does not give serpents and scorpions to kids who are hungry and asking for something to eat. He doesn't play games like that. He's a good father, and by his grace, you can come to him as his kids. And it's absolutely critical that you know this. For Jesus, it's so important that you start with this. Jesus says, when you pray, don't look in, first of all. Don't look out. Look up. And look up and say, our father. Our father. Yours as well as mine. Right? Jesus saying, He's, he's my dad, but because of me, he can be your dad too. He's ours. This our is a possessive pronoun. It means that God is ours and we are his. It means that we belong. Right? The our father means that we are at, finally at home. You know, several years ago... Um, a man named Russell and his wife, Maria, visited a Romanian orphanage. This was the first of two uh, of their two visits. In Romania, in order to adopt a kid, you've got to go two times. The first time to meet your kid and the second time uh, to pick them up. This was the first visit uh, that Russell and Maria had made uh, to the orphanage. And during uh, Russell and Maria's first visit to the orphanage, orphanage staff led this couple down uh, a long hallway to greet, uh, to greet and introduce them to the two one-year-old boys that they hoped would become their sons. Russell describes the horror of that visit. He says that the horror of that visit wasn't the squalor or the stench. The horror of that place was the quiet of it all. Russell said that the place was more silent than a funeral home. And he stopped and he pulled on his wife's elbow and he said, why is it so quiet? Right, this place is filled with babies. Well, here uh, in this orphanage, if you listen closely enough, you could hear babies rocking themselves back and forth 
right? Crib slats sort of gently bumping up against the walls. But these children did not cry. And the reason these children did not cry is because infants eventually learn that if no one ever responds to their calls for food or for comfort or for love, they're not going to do it anymore. See, no one responded to these kids. No one ever answered their cries for love or comfort or food, so they stopped crying. They stopped talking, and they just grew up silent. Well, the silence of that orphanage continued for days as Russell and Maria entered the boys' room. And for days, they would read them books, and they would sing them songs, and they would play with them, and they would pray for them. And all that time, the boys would never make a sound. Well, on the last day of the trip, uh, Russell and Maria showed up to tell the boys goodbye. As mentioned by law, they had to return to the United States, and they had to complete the legal paperwork uh, before returning to pick them up for good. And after hugging and kissing these two boys, they walked into the quiet hallway. But that's when they heard the scream. See, that's when the hair-raising, goosebump-prickling scream came from the boys' room. See, one of the boys named Benjamin, he fell back in his crib, and he let out a guttural cry, started screaming, started crying out. You could say the silent spell had been broken. And here's why. For the first time in this young boy's life, he knew on some primal level that he wasn't an orphan anymore. Something clicked in his mind and in his heart and registered, I have a father now. I have a dad now. And he cried out. His screaming was a signal, I'm not an orphan anymore. I'm a child. I've got a dad. See, what broke Benjamin's silent spell is knowing that he had a father who loved him. And I'm going to venture this guess for you too. What's going to break your silence, Phil? The very thing that's going to allow you to sort of cry out, to, to get all that pain and joy that's inside of you out, is knowing the same thing. Just like Benjamin, you need to know that you've got a dad. Just like Benjamin, you need to know that someone is there who's looking out for you, wants to talk to you read with you, play with you, pray for you. And see, you need to know this at the beginning. Not the middle, not the end. You need to know it now, at the outset. Because this is the very thing that is going to allow you to cry out and pray and talk to God as well. It's when you look up and you see, oh yeah, I've got a father. For this very reason, okay, Jesus has given us this pattern for prayer. It's not just a pattern that keeps us on the right track. It is a pattern that starts us off on the right foot. Right? Not with our wants, not with our needs, but with our Father. This is the connection that comes before content. And this is the reality that will break your silent, prayerless spell. Let's come to God now uh, and pray to him. 
I want to give you just a moment to be of quiet prayer for you to maybe to have a chance to talk to God about whatever he's stirring in your heart and mind uh, tonight. I just want to give you some space to talk to him about that. There's lots of you in the room tonight, and I don't know how this connects with you uh, today, but just take a little bit more time just to talk to God. Father, we confess, uh, as we sang earlier, that we need you. Perhaps we don't even fully recognize how much we need you. We, um, we confess that prayer comes hard, does not come natural to us. Um, and a lot of that, the difficulties uh, for prayer for us have a lot to do with some mixed up ideas about who you are and what your intentions are towards us and for us. We are filled with lots of doubt and fear. We even think that this might be too good to be true. That the one who made the heavens, the one who made the earth and all that's, that's in it, it wants to, us to come to him and call him dad. I know for lots of us that even that word father might have a strange association. Um, Some of us in this room have great dads and some of us don't have good dads at all. But I pray in our time together you convince us the kind of dad that you are. That you are a good father. That you look on us with love and that you want good things for us. That you invite us to come and to talk to you. And I pray that you would use this semester and use this year and use the whole of our lives of convincing us of your goodness, convincing us that you are a good dad who loves us. And I pray like that, just like Benjamin did, that knowing that would be the thing that makes us cry out to you and talk to you. I pray that you would break uh, the silence spell. Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.